Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. This morning, we are going to be continuing in our study of this series called Peace in a Pandemic. For the last two weeks, we've been talking about how to handle anxiety and, and worries in our lives. First, we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and how Jesus taught us to handle our anxieties and that we actually do not need to, to fear because we have a heavenly Father who passionately loves us and who promises to care for us. If he cared for the birds of the field, certainly he will care for us. Then we went to Philippians chapter 4 last week and looked at Paul's words on anxiety. And that when we're filled with anxiety, we should get on our knees and pray. And God has this wonderful exchange program where he will exchange the worries in our life for peace from God's life. And that God literally gives us supernatural peace when we come to him in prayer in times of worry and anxiety. This morning as we continue in our study, we're, we're moving from anxiety to the topic of attitude. You know, when we're stuck at home and we can't really go anywhere, it's easy to start to grumble. It's easy to start to whine and to complain, especially if you're maybe a teenager and you're used to seeing your friends and being with your friends and all kinds of social things, and now you can't go anywhere at all. And the idea that this uh, sort of shut down from school and staying at home is going to last for weeks and maybe even months is just something that seems more than we can bear. But not just teenagers, but adults. Adults, we can grumble with the best of them, can't we? We can grumble in this pandemic because our stocks are down in price. Or we grumble in this pandemic because there's not a lot of work for us to do. Others grumble because there's far too much work for us to do. But as adults, the, the truth is that if we weren't just grumbling in the tough times, if things were fine and things were going really well right now, we would be grumbling in the good times. Isn't that the way it works? The sinful desires of our heart always seem to find something to grumble about, to whine about and complain about. We grumble about our spouse when we're married, and then we grumble that we don't have a spouse when we're single. We, drumble, we grumble when we lose our car keys, and then we grumble when we find our car keys, but our car isn't the one we actually want to have. We grumble when we're busy, and we grumble when we're bored. In short, it's the sinful desires of our heart, not really our situations, it's the sinful desires of our heart that lead us to grumble. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the sin of grumbling. While it's very easy to do in hard, or very easy to do in the hard times, grumbling is also something we can do very quickly in the good times. And grumbling is actually, according to the Bible, sin. And it's actually a much more serious sin than most of us have ever realized. 
Now, we were in the book of Philippians last week. We're going to be continuing in the book of Philippians this week, except we're jumping to an earlier chapter. We're turning to Philippians chapter 2, and we're only going to be looking at two verses, verses 14 through 15. Let me read those verses to you, where Paul writes to the Philippians, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That ends the reading of God's word. Let me give you our outline for this morning. We're going to look at four main points. First, we're going to look at what the Old Testament teaches us about grumbling. And then we're going to see why it is wrong for us to grumble when life gets difficult. Then we're going to see why Christians must repent of grumbling when they find it in their life. And lastly, we'll get very practical. How do I change the sinful pattern of grumbling that I have in my heart? So let's dive right into the first point, which is the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament teach us about grumbling? Without question, if you think about your Old Testament, you know the Old Testament people of Israel are the poster childs for what grumbling actually looks like. They were constantly complaining, whining and grumbling about their situations. What we find here as we look at them is that grumbling is contagious and it is deadly. Right now, our thoughts are often on this coronavirus, that the coronavirus is highly contagious and it is very deadly. But I would propose to you as we study God's word, you'll find grumbling is actually even more contagious and it is more deadly than the coronavirus itself. To prove that to you, let me just return to the ancient Israelites. Many of you who know your Bible know that after the Israelites came out of Egypt, they eventually came to the promised land. Before they were to go into the promised land, they set in 12 spies to check out the promised land. Two of the spies came back confident that God would enable them as a nation to take the promised land. They were Caleb and, and Joshua. And they said, even though the people are much bigger than us, even though the cities are fortified, God will enable us to take the promised land because that is what he's told us we should do. But why two spies were positive, the honest truth is that 10 spies were negative. They grumbled. They discouraged the people. And the discouragement and grumbling of those 10 spies infected the entire nation. Look what it says in Numbers 14.36. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him, bringing up a bad report about the land. You see, their grumbling was extremely contagious. It does not matter that, uh, that, that God had told them to take the promised land. What happened was when they began grumbling and saying they couldn't do it, it would not work and God's brought them out here for no good reason at all. What happened was that grumbling spread to the people. 
didn't matter that God had miraculously taken them out of Egypt. Didn't matter that God had miraculously provided food, the manna, every morning. Didn't matter that God had provided miraculous water throughout the, the desert. It, these grumbling spies infected the entire nation with a grumbling attitude. Now let me see how, let me show you how God felt about this. Look what God says happened to these 10 spies. It says, the men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Apparently this plague was far worse than COVID-19 because the plague wasted no time in destroying them and, and taking their lives. They died on the spot. This gives us a window into God's heart and how God feels about the sin of grumbling. Not only was it highly contagious and 10 men affected an entire nation with that grumbling attitude in no time flat, but it was highly lethal. That entire generation, because of their lack of belief, did not go into the promised land. But they wandered for 40 years in the desert until they died. How many people died because of this grumbling? Exodus 12 verse 37 says it was 600,000 men plus women and children that came out of Egypt with Moses. If you assume there's just one woman for every man, that's 1.2 million people that died in the desert, never made it to the promised land because of the grumbling in those spies' hearts that infected an entire nation. So I told you, grumbling is more contagious than the coronavirus and grumbling can actually be more lethal than the coronavirus. That's something that the Old Testament teaches us about grumbling in our hearts. The Old Testament also teaches us this, that God tests us to see if we will trust him or if we will grumble against him. Again and again, we see that God intentionally put the ancient Israelites in tough situations. He put them in what would be hopeless situations. But he did it all for a good reason. The reason was to see what they would do, to test them, to see if they would turn to God and trust him to rescue them, or if they would grumble against God. As you look at the Old Testament Israelites, you find that each time God tested them, they failed the test. Instead of turning to God and trusting in Him and looking to God for their rescue, they grumbled against God and complained to Him as if God had forgotten them in the situation they, faced, they found themselves in. Let me give you a little Old Testament narrative to show you what I mean. We know that it was after God had put the plagues on the land of Egypt. Ten plagues to completely decimate a world superpower. And so the Israelites marched out of Egypt having done nothing, not even lifted a finger against the Egyptians. God had supernaturally devastated them. And when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they eventually found themselves in front of the Red Sea. And they looked behind them. There they saw Pharaoh and his chariots and his armies coming after them. 
and they freaked out. Instead of trusting God to continue to rescue them in that trial, they grumbled against God and complained against him. They whined. Look what it says happened in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. And they said to Moses, Now is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? You hear the grumbling in their heart rather than trusting God in their heart? You see, God put them in that situation to test them, to see what they would do, to see where they would turn. Now, you know the rest of the story, how God sent a cloud that he put between the Egyptians and the Israelites, and how God literally parted the waters of the Red Sea, so the entire nation walked across the sea on dry ground. The book of Psalms tells us that they literally had a wall of water to their left and to their right. They could so abundantly see the supernatural evidence of what God was doing. And then after they made it across, God allowed for the Egyptian army to chase them into the Red Sea. And then God brought the waters back, completely drowning the entire Egyptian army. Once again, God saved them. And, but here's the miraculous part. Three days later, they found themselves in another trying situation. And what did they do? Trust God to continue to save them? No, they actually grumbled uh, against God. This time, their canteens were dry. They were out of water. And this is what it says in Exodus 15, verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, remember why God put his people into trying and tough situations, to test them, to see where they would turn. They turned to grumbling instead of trusting. And once again, God in his grace, he brought them to some water, and then he told Moses to throw, the water was no good, it was not fit to drink, and they told Moses to throw a, a stick into the water, is what God did, and that made the bitter water sweet, it made it edible. But remember, it was only three days after crossing the Red Sea that they had miracle amnesia. They completely forgot that they could trust God, that they turned instead to grumbling against God when they faced a trial. Now, as they continue, just a few days later, they have miracle amnesia again, and they start grumbling, except this time, it's not that their canteens are empty. It was that their lunch boxes were empty. Now, why did God allow their lunch boxes to be empty? Why did he allow them to go without food? Once again, my friends, it was a test to see what they would do. Would they turn to God and trust in God for their salvation to provide for their needs? Or would they grumble against God? They failed the test and grumbled against him. Look what it says in the... And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died in the by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate bread to the full. For you have brought 
us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly by hunger. They failed the test. Instead of trusting, they went to grumbling. But God is incredibly merciful, incredibly kind. And what did he do? At that time, he began giving them manna. Manna that was there every morning. A miracle a day. But remember, that manna was not there one day a week. So they knew that the manna was literally a daily miracle to provide for their food. Now, here's a pattern for us to learn from. Just as God brought the ancient Israelites into a crisis to test them again and again to see if they would learn to trust in God in the tough times or grumble against God in the tough times, God is also bringing us into a crisis. The question is, what will we do? Will we fail the test? Will we grumble against God? Or will we look back upon history and see how God has provided for us and how God has sustained us again and again in the past? And if he has sustained us in the past, won't he care for us and sustain us into the future? Or will we fail the test and be like the ancient Israelites and grumble against him? The next lesson we learn from uh, the Old Testament is this. Grumbling about our circumstances is ultimately grumbling against God. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Now there is great insight in this verse. People were at this point without water. So they began to grumble against Moses. But Moses said to them, you are not ultimately grumbling against me. You are grumbling against God. Because God is the one who has put you in that circumstance. Now, we often go through difficult times. They could be small things like losing our car keys or big things. But the thing we often do in those times is we start to grumble. And we say, well, I'm just grumbling against my circumstances because I don't like them. But the honest truth is we are grumbling against God because it is God who has put us in those circumstances. Now, why does God put us in those difficult circumstances? He does that to grow our faith. He puts us in difficult circumstances to teach us to pray. He puts us in difficult circumstances to build our faith and show us how God will provide for us in our time of need. See, every time God put the ancient Israelites in a difficult circumstance, it was originally intended to grow their faith and show them how God would take care of them no matter how difficult things became. But they failed that test. And they grumbled against him. Now every time God puts us in a difficult circumstance, whether that's financially right now, whether that's loneliness right now, that could even be COVID-19 in our body right now. Those difficult circumstances are there to test our faith 
and to build our faith. But when we grumble against God, we fail the test. Next point. God judged the sin of grumbling. You must remember that. He judges it because he takes it very seriously because it's highly contagious and as we've seen, it's highly lethal. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. You know, after all God had done for them, after God had given the ten plagues upon the Egyptians, after he had completely taken them out of the land of Egypt without them having to do a thing, after God brought them across the Red Sea on dry ground, after God provided food for them miraculously every morning, he provided water for them, every single thing God had done for them, all they could do was complain all they could do was grumble because of their life, which they thought was such a misfortune. Instead of being grateful for how God had continually provided for their needs, they focused on all they didn't have instead of all the good things they did have. They couldn't seem to remember how God had cared for them. And you know what really burned God up? their lack of gratitude. In fact, not only did it burn God up, but eventually it ended up burning them up because God judges grumbling. You continue and you find this. And now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. That cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now think about this. They should have been much more grateful for the manna because the alternative to manna when they were in the wilderness was starvation in the wilderness. So rather than being grateful for what God did provide, they were busy grumbling for what God had not provided. They wanted fancier food. Now, what we find here is God decided to give them what they wanted. He gave them the meat that they were looking for. Uh, but he also greatly expressed his displeasure for their grumbling heart instead of having a grateful heart. Let me give you a, a few verses put together. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp. And while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. Now, apparently these quail, when they were blown in, they were blown in from Wuhan, China. 
and they obviously had some kind of animal-borne virus. It was uh, maybe sort of a pre-COVID-19 kind of virus because as soon as they ate the meat, they were struck with a plague from the meat. Instead of being grateful to God for how he had provided for them in the past and was continuing to sustain them in the future, they were grumbling against God because they didn't have everything they wanted. All the fancies and all the delicacies. Now God judged them because of it. See, the Israelites repeatedly failed this test. May we not fail this test the same way. Last point from the Old Testament I should make is this. The New Testament tells us we should learn from the sins of God's people in the past so we don't repeat them. 1 Corinthians 10, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Notice this, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now I know you've been thinking, I thought we were supposed to be studying Philippians chapter 2. And yet instead, so far you've given us just an Old Testament history lesson. The reason I gave you this lesson is because the Bible commanded me to give you this lesson. These things were written down for our instruction. So we would learn from the Israelites grumbling, not repeat what the Israelites did with their grumblings. So we'd learn from how they responded the wrong way in tough times. And ultimately, how we would learn to respond the right way in tough times. Remember, whenever God puts us in a test, and he puts us in a trial, it is not so we would learn to grumble against him. It is always so we would learn to turn to him and trust in him. The trials in our life are always given to us by God not to ruin our faith, but to grow our faith. That is the reason that they are in our life. Now let's turn to Philippians. First thing we must know is what's wrong with grumbling when life gets difficult. Paul says this, and this is the nugget we're working on today. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, we've learned about the Old Testament background for grumbling. Now, we're going to look at this verse in its context because when we look a little bit before this verse and we look a little bit after this verse, Paul gives us abundant instructions on why we as Christians should be ever so careful to not grumble in our lives when God allows us to be in a time of trial. Here's the first reason why it's wrong for us to grumble when life gets difficult. Number one, we know God is working his good plan in our life. We must know that. Beginning of Philippians, Philippians chapter two, it talks about Jesus. And Jesus and his great humility, who went from heaven to earth to take on a body, and humility that wouldn't just take on a body, but he would die in our place for our sins. 
And Paul tells us that we should walk in Jesus' footsteps. We should imitate Christ's humility. But then after talking about Christ and his great humility and that we should imitate him, Paul finishes with these words right before our little verse in Philippians. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul says we are not just saved by our faith in Christ, but we are to be working out the implications of our faith in Jesus Christ in our everyday life. Now, if God loves us, we must know that he always has a good reason if he allows trials and difficult times into our life. If God the Father loved Jesus, yet he allowed trials and suffering in, into, the time, into the life of Jesus, and he had a good reason for those things, which ultimately ended up with Jesus going to glory, you know that God will also allow times of trial. He will allow times of suffering in our life. And he will have a good reason for allowing them into our life. And that ultimately when we come through them well, we, like Jesus, will also end up in glory. God had very good plans when he allowed trials and suffering into the life of Jesus. Ultimately, it resulted in our salvation for our sins. You must understand that we are walking in Jesus' footsteps. And God has good plans for allowing times of trials and suffering in our life as well. Trials, difficulty, sufferings in our life, they are not mistakes in God's good plan. They are part of God's good plan for our life. The trials in Jesus' life were not mistakes. The death of Jesus was not a mistake. It was all part of God's good plan. Think about this as you reflect upon this in your heart. Isn't it true that it was in the hardest times of your life where the greatest amount of spiritual growth took place? Isn't it in the hardest times of your life when you were at the absolute bottom of your world that you finally repented of your sin and trusted in Christ? Isn't it at the hardest and most difficult trials of your life that you learn to pray? Pray like no other. Isn't it at the difficult times when you opened your Bible and you read your Bible with an intensity and a fervor like no other? You see, it's in those hard times, in those difficult times where God is building our faith and growing our life. God has a good plan for us in tough times. We either can trust him and believe him on that or grumble and whine and complain against him. And when we grumble, whine, and complain, we thwart and destroy all the good things that God wants to do in your life and in mine. The next thing we learn as we look at these earlier verses 
is as Jesus didn't grumble about the hard parts of God's plan for his life, we should not grumble about the hard parts of God's plan for our life. You notice when Jesus faced very difficult times, when his disciples denied him, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane preparing to go for the cross, do you see Jesus grumbling? Do you see Jesus whining and complaining? No, you see Jesus turning to his heavenly Father, trusting to him, in him, praying in, to him, and submitting to him. Folks, there are two patterns for how we handle trials in Scripture. The first pattern that we can follow is the pattern of the ancient Israelites that even though God had so miraculously provided for them again and again and miraculously carried them through tough times again and again, as soon as they had enough, a different tough time, they instantly went to grumbling and whining and complaining. And the result was it led to God's judgment. The other pattern that we can follow is not the ancient Israelites, but it's Jesus. When he faced trials... Trials far worse than not having water for three days. Trials far worse than being short on food. When he faced the trial of, of death, death on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't whine, he didn't complain. He got on his knees and he trusted his heavenly Father and he called out to him. And in, what did it lead to? It led to his glory. So what we find is this question. Who are you going to trust right now? Who are you going to follow right now in the tough times that we are facing as a country and as a city and as a church? Will you follow the pattern of the ancient Israelites who whined, grumbled, and complained, which ultimately led to God's judgment and death? Or will you follow the pattern left for us by Jesus, who got on his knees, who trusted in God, who called out to God, who asked to strengthen for God, and didn't whine, didn't complain, didn't grumble. And it ultimately led to glory in his life. Whose pattern are you going to follow? Well, that is what we see as we look just before our key verse that says we shall not grumble or dispute. Now let me look at what grumbling and disputing actually means. I put some definitions down here for you just to help you bring some clarity to this. Grumbling, it literally means emotionally expressing dissatisfaction with our life or our circumstances, either under our breath or out loud to other people. It's also sometimes called murmuring or muttering. Now, this is something that's so easy for us to do. Talking under our breath, expressing our dissatisfaction with life or with other people, Yet these are the life that God has given to us, the other people that God has chosen to put us with, and he has a good reason for it. Disputing is similar. While muttering often happens in our head, in, in our hearts, sometimes coming out of our mouth, disputing actually is more on the outside. It's intellectually arguing with God or arguing with other people, usually because we think we deserve something better than we're actually receiving. It's saying, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't have to go through this. I don't want to face this. And some of us say that, I don't deserve to be treated this way in my marriage. 
or I don't deserve to be single so long, or I don't deserve to have the job that I have. I deserve something better. That's what disputing is. And Paul says, neither grumbling nor disputing should be in our life. That's not the way God wants us to live. By the way, we saw in the Old Testament that God judges grumbling because it's a very serious, contagious, and lethal sin. But it's not just we find that in the Old Testament. We find that very same theme here in the New Testament as well. We find this in James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When we grumble, we often forget that God is listening. And when we grumble against the circumstances that God has put us in, we often forget how deeply we're hurting Him. Because He puts us in a difficult circumstance to grow us, to mature us, to teach us and to make us more like Jesus. He always has a good plan, no matter what the hard time is in your life or in mine. When I read this about the judge standing at the door, it reminds me of a, a time when I grew up. My father and I were fighting. I don't even remember what we were fighting about. Uh, something, something we were angry about and uh, the phone rang and my dad answered it and said it was one of my friends. I ran upstairs to the bedroom and picked up the phone uh, to be able to talk. And by the way, this is before cell phones. This is when you actually had this thing called landlines where you could pick up all the phones in the house and everybody could be on the same landline. I picked up the phone to talk to my friends and I immediately began grumbling, whining, and complaining, talking to my friends about how bad I had it and what ter how terrible my parents were. But here's the thing. My father downstairs, he had never hung up the phone. My father just listened in on my grumbling, whining, complaining conversation. And when I finished grumbling, complaining, and whining, I hung up the phone and went downstairs, and my dad started to repeat the very words I had said about him to my friends. And I was cut to the heart because I saw how deeply I had wounded him, how deeply I had hurt him, and I think about that. You know, that's sort of like it is with God. God is on the line. God hears our grumbling, our whining, our muttering, our complaining. And it deeply hurts him when we do. He says, I may have you in a tough time, but trust me, I love you. I love you more than you could understand. If you're in a tough time, it's for a good reason. I want to grow your faith. I want to teach you to pray. I want to have you love me more. Don't grumble and complain. It can even lead to God judging us if we consistently do it. Number three, um, why must Christians repent of grumbling? Now, we looked at the verses just before our verse on grumbling. Now let's look at the verses just after our verse on grumbling. First reason is this. Grumbling stunts spiritual growth. Paul says we should not grumble so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. 
Now the Greek here is very interesting. He says, you shall not grumble so that you may become, is literally what it says, blameless, pure, and innocent children of God. God is working on us right now. The process is, is he is spiritually maturing us. He is building our life. He is building our character to make us more and more like Jesus in this world. So we would be men and women who are known for our blamelessness, our purity. But what happens when we grumble? What happens when we whine and when we complain? It puts a stop to our spiritual growth. It halts our character becoming more and more like Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you want to become a spiritually mature person, if you want to become a very useful person for Christ, someone who is more and more like Christ in this world as you go longer on in your spiritual life in this world, I want you to know you cannot be a grumbler, whiner, and complainer and achieve spiritual maturity. They just do not go together. Grumbling, whining, complaining puts a complete stop to our spiritual growth. Think about this for yourself. Think about those that you admire, those you look up to as spiritually mature men and women. Are they grumblers? Do they whine? Do they complain? Or when hard times come into their life, are they known for trusting God? Are they known for praying to God? Are they known for letting that time grow their life? or diminish their life. Now, by the way, when I talk about grumbling, uh, don't misunderstand that this is just grumbling about big things. Grumbling can be such a habit of our heart that we grumble about little things. Grumbling can be everything from grumbling at the kids who spill their milk, grumbling at the weather who is too cold, grumbling at the internet that is too slow, grumbling at our food that is overcooked, grumbling at our coffee that is undercooked. You cannot grumble about little things and big things and still achieve spiritual maturity. The other thing Paul says is this, that grumbling also diminishes our ability to share Christ in this world. He says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you are to shine as lights in this world. Folks, evangelism, it's obviously sharing the good news about Jesus Christ, but it's more than just sharing the good news about Jesus. It's sharing our good lives that have been changed by Jesus. But as Christians, if we are whining, grumbling, and complaining, the honest truth is we cannot share Christ effectively with others in this world because that attitude in our heart diminishes the brightness with which we sign for Christ. Paul describes our world as crooked. That's actually the Greek word scoliosis. It means bent out of shape describes our world as twisted, which means severely distorted. Our world is crooked, it's twisted, it's severely distorted. And you and I know this because one thing you see everywhere you go, especially when you look at the news, is people grumbling, whining, and complaining about their circumstances and about one another. But Paul says that God's intent for us 
is that we wouldn't be like that. We would be so different in this world. We would be people of peace and trusting, that trust in God in the difficult times. And that when we do that, we will literally shine like a bright light in a dark, dark universe. The shining of the light here, and literally it's talking about a heavenly body like a sun, a moon, or a stars. That the holiness of our life and the Christ-likeness of our life literally allows us to shine in this world so people can see Jesus through our life. But the honest truth is that grumbling, whining, complaining in the midst of trials, all it does is diminish that light in our life and diminish our ability to shine for Jesus and lead others to have Jesus. Well, obviously, there's one main point of this whole entire message is that you and I, as Christians, must not grumble when we face difficult times. We must be people who, like Jesus, get on our knees, call out to God for help. We expect, express faith and trust in our Heavenly Father who will take good care of us in our tough times. And that when tough times linger and they go on for a while, we know that God's purposes in them are always to grow us, not to destroy us. The million dollar question now is how? How do I change the sinful pattern of grumbling in my life? Three quick things. Number one, identify grumbling as sin and repent of it in your life. Pray and ask God to give you the strength to turn from the sin of grumbling. Number two, I'd encourage you this week to keep a grumbling journal. Most of us don't realize how frequently we grumble and how quickly we start to grumble. Take a little piece of paper, keep it with you, write it down. As soon as you find yourself starting to whine and grumble, write it down. You will be shocked at how casually and how quickly we can go to a grumbling attitude. And number three, allow your loved ones to gently, and I say gently, tell you when you grumble. Because sometimes the honest truth is we don't even recognize grumbling in our heart because we've become so accustomed to doing it in our hearts that others who love us are much more aware of the grumbling in our life than we are about the grumbling in our life. This week, may we be people who repent of the sin of grumbling and people who trust in God's good plan and good purposes for our life, even in difficult times and trials. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the Old Testament where we could see so clearly that the people of Israel and we learned at how their grumbling actually ruined their life rather than gave um, life to their life. May we learn from their mistakes. Instead of following them in the pattern of grumbling and tough times that they followed in this world, may we follow Jesus, who instead of grumbling, turned to you with trust and prayer, and that you provided the strength he needed to make it through, and ultimately you brought him home to glory. We know that you will provide us the strength we need to make it through the trials that we are facing today. And as we rely on you, instead of grumbling against you, we know that you will bring us home to glory too. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. 
More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.